Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Do you have an idolatrous spirit? Now, I realize that I'm talking primarily to believers, and it may seem very odd to you, that question. I mean, is it possible that a true believer has an idolatrous spirit? The answer is yes, indeed. In fact, I would suggest to you that it's quite common. And what do I mean by an idolatrous spirit? Well, idolatry is rooted in one thing. I want what I want. It's my desires which are dominating my life. And I turn to this God, which is no God, but I worship him, I give to him in order that I receive what I want. Now, obviously, idolatry is rooted in deception and falsehood, but when we desire something greatly, what we want, our desires, it is going to cause us to be deceived by the falsehood of the enemy. Take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Psalms and Psalm 115. The book of Psalms and Psalm 115. Now, within this Psalm, there is a section that speaks about the futility of idols, that we ought not trust in them. They are nothing. They cannot accomplish anything. And it's only because I want what I want that someone would believe and submit to this idolatrous practice and idolatry is based upon one thing i'm willing to give if what i get back is worth it it's simply a business arrangement and again a business arrangement that is based in falsehood because as we'll see idols can accomplish nothing so in this psalm psalm 115 we learn what we should think and what we should not think. Let's begin. Psalm 115 and verse 1. Now, it begins with a simple phrase, not for us, Lord. And the implication here is this. We want God to move, but not according to our desires, not in behalf of what we want. Here, the psalmist is teaching us it is what God wills, which is a good thing, what we should desire, what we should seek. And therefore, he says, not for us, Lord, not for us. That is repeated twice at the beginning and at the end of this sentence in order to emphasize it's not for us. It's not about what we want, what we desire. But rather, keep reading, for your name. And name, and I have shared this many times, 
is synonymous with character so we want god to act and behave according to his character because his character is perfect everything about god is desirable and therefore his will should be desired by you and me that's what faithfulness is all about so he says for your name give glory we see something being taught in that next phrase there is an inherent relationship between the name or the character of god and glory god's character reveals glory and that is what we should be seeking glory is never and write this down learn this truth glory is never found in my desires my will now of course what we do is this we take our will our desire set it aside nail it to the cross so to speak in order that our desire can be replaced with the will of god that's spirituality that's maturity that's what faith leads us to do to agree with god so we want god's will because it's only in god's will that god's glory is going to be manifested and that is an excellent thing why well god's glory is never manifested without god's presence so the glory of god relates to the presence of god and when god's presence comes into a person's life to a person's situation good things are going to happen and then notice how this this verse concludes it says concerning or about your grace concerning your truth now there's a relationship here between grace and truth in fact we see those two words going together in many different verses in many different bibles or books of the bible we see these two words being set together grace and truth and we see that grace when it's working in a person's life is going to bring them into the truth of god and god's truth relates to his character god's truth relates to his will but only through grace can i exercise and access truth without being a recipient of god's grace his truth is going to be out of reach i will not think according to it i will not desire it i will not understand it so grace is foundational and what we see in this first verse god works god acts graciously in order that his truth might be manifested and when his truth is being embraced by you and me it is going to reflect his character and god's name is going to be glorified move on to verse verse two now he's going to speak about the goyim that is the nations we could use another term gentile now what's being spoken of here is a group of people that have no covenantal relationship with god many times we see in the scripture makes a distinction between the jew and the gentile that's fine but understand the implication when a person see there can be a jewish individual but god's not important to him or to her 
They're not interested in his revelation, his word. They have no covenantal relationship that they're acting upon that is influencing them. And they are as lost and separated and as ungodly as another person who's not Jewish but who is involved in idolatry. Makes no difference. It is the covenant that brings change into our life. Now, initially, God made a covenant with the Jewish people, that Abrahamic covenant, and that led God later on to give law to bring them back to the faith of Abraham, that they would exercise faith, and the faith is going to produce a righteous outcome, an outcome that is in agreement with the law. But but here's the problem. When someone is not acting in faith, they are not going to be pleasing to God. They're not going to understand the purposes of God, the will of God, the character of God. So here we begin speaking about the nations, the Gentiles. And the psalmist asked this question, why, the Hebrew word lama, why should the nations say, where now is their God? Now, there's a word here, na, which can be a term of of imploring, a term of of please, a request. But here, (laughs) it probably has more to do with asking na in the sense of now. Where is their God, meaning the God of Israel? And the implication is that, that they don't see the the activity of god in the children of israel and what happens well there's a response we read here in verse three our god so their god is being spoken of by the the nations they're asking where is their god the god of israel and now there's a response from the community the jewish community who says and our god is in the heavens And this speaks about God who transcends, God who is over. And it says, our God is in the heavens and all which he desires or delights, everything that he wants, he has done. So God in this passage of scripture accomplishes things according to his desire. So what's being emphasized? The will of God god is going to be experienced god is going to be known god is going to be seen god is going to be present in his will and it uses the word here hafetz which is a strong word for desire but the desire of god move on to verse verse four what it says here is that there is a dichotomy meaning two there's a choice you are either going to choose the one true god the god who is sovereign the god who rules over the heavens and submit to him or you're going to be involved in idolatry only faith in the god of israel through messiah causes us to be different to become a am sigula which means a treasured people by god god will treasure us because we entered into that new covenantal relationship with him but without that there's going to be idolatry and that's why it says the the idols literally their idols 
And when we look again and once more, I'm, I'm reading the book of Hebrews, but underneath the biblical text are Hebrew words to help us grasp the intent. And here we have Psile Hagoyim. These are the idols or statutes. So we have a word that relates to idols and statutes, idols of silver and gold. What are they? Well, these things that were are worshipped by many, in fact, by the majority in this time of, of the people of the world, it says here they are the work of the hands of man. So it's not God connected to these idols but it's simply the activity, the actions, the work of man. And so anything that's outside the scripture is simply going to be that which is rooted in humanity. That is not faith. That is not the things of God. Godly truth is found in his word through a covenantal relationship with him. Now it's going to speak about these idols. And what does it say? A mouth to him. They have a mouth, but but they do not speak. There are eyes to them, but they do not see. Verse 6. Ears to them, but they do not hear. A noise nose to them, but they do not smell. Their hands meaning they have hands but they do not fill they cannot touch and they have feet but they do not walk nor is there any and the implication here is that there's no uh, sound no utterance that is in their throat meaning comes from their throat and what are they like well look now at verse 8 like them will be all who make them meaning there's nothing that comes from it there's nothing of of significance and this goes back to the book of Kohelet that is the book of Ecclesiastes where where Solomon is wanting something that's not futile something that's not vain and he says when we look under the heaven meaning apart from God and we do what we want and even In Solomon's case he obtained his objectives now there's some people that are probably listening and thinking wow if I could accomplish everything that I desire I would be happy the book of Ecclesiastes yells at you saying no you won't be if you get everything according to your will what you desire what you think is good what you think is going to make you happy it will not satisfy it will leave you empty that's what the book of ecclesiastes is about solomon says and he's writing the book of ecclesiastes from a confessional standpoint meaning this he says i was the king i had wealth i had wisdom i had understanding i had servants And whatever I wanted, I could achieve and accomplish and take possession of. And he says, I got it all. And what was it? Futility. Vanity. It did not satisfy because he said he saw something. It was all temporal. You can have the most wonderful home, but eventually it is going to fall apart. 
you can have all the possessions you want but you will die and they will go to someone else so there's nothing lasting nothing enduring and what we find here is this it is only when we submit to god then and only then does our life have significance and eternal significance what we do in obedience to god bringing our life our desires under his authority will produce an outcome forever and ever it will have meaning this is what he's saying but those who like idol makers their idols do nothing neither will they look on in the second part of verse 8 where it says and all who trust in them not only do the idol makers that they in the end will receive nothing they will come to naught. they will accomplish nothing so too are those who trust in them you are foolish i am foolish if i put any thought in this idolatrous spirit what is that pursuing what i want what i desire and idolatry is really a way of trying to bring a degree of legitimacy a degree of acceptability into society to kind of justify what i want someone says well that's not the right thing to do oh don't judge me this is my religion this is what my god tells me to do don't think that your religion's better than me i don't judge you you don't judge me that's the worldly perspective it's a stench in the nostrils of god god's interested in truth and it's only through receiving the grace of god can we act in truth and even access an understanding of the truth look now to verse 9 beginning in verse 9 we have some instructions instructions on who to trust in where it says yisrael a kingdom people that's what the word israel is about a covenant people that have a kingdom hope and he says israel trust in the lord and it's that sacred name of god the god that transcends all things why because it is he is god is their help and their shield is he is god so we're going to see that that phrase appears many times in the next few verses which is Ezram, their help and maginam their shield or their defense so god he helps us and he defends us that's what it's saying here verse 10 then he speaks more specifically not just to all of israel but he says "O house of aaron trust in the lord and he says the same thing their help and their shield is he is god so do you want god's help do you want god's protection and defense of you then you have to be in a covenantal relationship with him through messiah yeshua that is jesus christ through the gospel whereby you become committed to the will of god and that you strive to demonstrate the character of god for the purpose of bringing god's presence and his glory into your life and into everything that your life encounters 
So he says, O house of Aaron, the priests, in other words, trust in the Lord, who is their help and their defense. Verse 11. Now we, we go broad. We began with Israel, the priesthood, and now it simply says, the ones who fear the Lord. Now I like this because it doesn't matter what your background is, what is your culture, what language you speak, what what color is your skin. None of that is important to God. God has created this diversity in race and, and being of a race or an ethnic group. It's just diversity. It, it shows the, the mag- majesty of God, that he creates people and all of this variety and such. But the bottom line is found in verse 11, where he speaks to humanity and he calls humanity to do something. It says, fear, O fears of the Lord. What does that mean? Those who give priority to God within their life. That's who he's addressing here. Yireh Hashem, the ones who fear the Lord. What will they do? He commands them, trust in the Lord. You fear the Lord will cause you to trust in him. That is the natural outcome. If you really make God the priority of your life, you are going to trust in him. And how do we do that? Through his word. And what's the outcome? Once again, he becomes their help and their shield, their defense. And hopefully we can see ourselves in this this group in verse 11 those who fear those who give god priority verse 12. oh lord remember us now the word remember and i've shared this before that word liz core is is related to covenant When God remembers, he acts in light of his covenant. Now, God doesn't forget anything, but God will reject. God will set aside. God will put, so to speak, someone in time out or his covenant people in time out. And it's through God remembering a very powerful word to remember. This remembering causes God to act in light of his covenant obligations when when we are behaving in a way that God sets us aside puts us in time out will not remember us and here again God knows all things God doesn't forget but he does not act that's the implication of of forgetting he will not act remembering he begins to act in light of his covenantal obligations look at verse 12 the Lord remember us that's the desire and what does this remembering cause him to do he will bless you now why is that because the covenant is a container of blessing it speaks about god's behavior towards his covenant people and our god is a blessed god he will bless the house of israel he will bless the house of aaron and look at verse 13 he will bless the ones who fear the lord both small with the great ones so it doesn't matter if you you may be viewed by society as insignificant but if you fear god you are going to through that fear of god making god the priority of your life you are inviting 
your life to become that which is significant to god the fearing of the lord makes that one who fears god to be significant to god and cause god to act and behave now god's sovereign we we don't make god do anything we we can't manipulate god that's not what i'm talking about but realize god has put up spiritual laws made them available to us and when we act in light of that spiritual law it will bring about a a known outcome from god so what he's saying here is this when one fears the lord that fear there's a spiritual law when one demonstrates the fear of the lord god blesses this one that's what he's saying and the last part God, it doesn't matter how the world views you, whether you're small and insignificant or whether you're great and very, very important from a worldly perspective. A great uh, equalizer is faith in God, fearing Him, demonstrating that God will respond in a similar way. Look now to verse 14. Here, God is going to do something. It's the word Yosef. Now, it comes from the same word as the name Joseph, but what's important here is that this word speaks about adding. It's a a word of addition, a word of, of giving. So it says, the Lord, he will add unto you. And unto you, and unto your sons meaning that next generation and this is a great thing it's saying that that one's faithfulness one's demonstrating the priority of god in their life will bring about blessings upon that next generation and that means our children and it can even go beyond that now notice what it says in verse 15 it's a word which are blessed ones and what we find here is that god wants to cause us to become a blessed people that's god's nature learn something every time every time i submit and it's not unique with me the same thing can be said for you and someone else and it doesn't matter every time an individual submits to god obeys him gives god the priority of their life and and acts in light of the will of god what is god going to do he is going to take that person and again it makes no difference who it is if a person acts in faith acts in that belief god is going to bless them and that's why he says blessed ones are you unto the lord the Lord who made heavens and the earth. Now, he says something in verse 16. He says, the heavens, the heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. Meaning this, God's sovereign all places. God is omnipresent. It's not like God's only in the heaven. That's not what this is saying. But it's saying that god has commanded he has commissioned his covenant people to act in light of his revelation in this world that we are the ones 
that are supposed to enforce the truth of god we're the ones who are supposed to demonstrate the character of god and act in a way that brings god's presence we can say it differently brings god's glory into the circumstance into some individual's life so he has given us a degree of authority and equipping for this world that's what he's saying in verse 16 look now to verse 17 not the dead will praise the lord our god is a god of the living so those who are dead and he's talking about here the context is those who are spiritually dead those who are spiritually dead now there are those who uh you meet walking in the street you may work with them you may live next to them and such and they're spiritually dead we need to act to bring about a resurrection into their life through the gospel but there are those who are spiritually dead those individuals don't live a praiseworthy life their life is not praising the lord and it says and nor all those who go down and the word here is silently but when i look here in the the explanation they use the word la caver this is the tomb so all those go down to the tomb and of course they're silent they're dead they no longer can praise god and here it's talking about those who are again spiritually dead they have not experienced redemption and notice how the last verse is is utilized here now if we look at verse 18 the first uh word is the word va and many will tell you that means and a n d and and i wouldn't disagree with that but that same word in the tenaxi in modern hebrew we have an additional word that does not appear in the hebrew bible it's the word aval what's aval it is the word but we don't have that word in the biblical text any biblical text doesn't appear in the tanakh the hebrew bible but we are taught by the sages and those who know hebrew much much better than i do that the term ve or va depending upon the vowel pointing and grammar determines what it takes and it can even take the term u depending upon the conjunction we are going to see that this word can mean but and this is what it means here look again he's saying that the dead those who go down to destruction to death to the tomb they don't praise you but we who's we those who have a covenantal relationship with god let me just encourage you right now if someone were to ask you and that's what i'm going to do right now do you have a covenantal relationship with god are you sure that you do if you say i'm unsure or no i I don't think i do you need to change that right now you're heading to a pathway of eternal death death and destruction in that state you will never be able to praise god you will acknowledge that god is but 
it is not going to have any benefit for you but if you enter into a covenantal relationship with him and it's so easy all you do is you acknowledge you're a sinner that you're not perfect that you have not complied completely with the instructions of god that you have broken his word his commandments and then and i think that's an easy thing for people to do we all admit oh i've told a lie i have done something i shouldn't taken something that truly doesn't belong on me maybe something simple yesterday i was at a place buying food for shabbat and i'm always amazed that people go and they just you know take a little bit eat it go around and and they kind of have a light meal as a shop around this food that's prepared that's stealing we ought not do that now so many people do but that doesn't make it right so we're all guilty before god at least one thing that we've done wrong in our life and therefore we need to confess and say i accept yeshua mashiach jesus christ who died upon that tree the bible says cursed is everyone who dies upon the tree he took death he took the curse so that i can experience life eternal life and blessing so i invite him into my life to save me and i want to serve him i believe that he died upon that tree but i believe that god raised him from the dead if you believe that and accept that into your life as he as your redeemer you are going to become a new creation and you will never die spiritually you will have eternal life and the evidence of that let's go to verse 18 but we we who are in a covenantal relationship we will bless the lord and notice what it says now from now until forever and then the last word hallelujah meaning praise the lord that's our nature if you have received the gospel that you have found the grace of god through and there's only one place to find grace and that is in faith in Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus of Nazareth. If you have received him, you are a new creation, and you, your new nature, you're born again. Your new nature, that new birth, is going to cause you to desire to bless God. How do we bless God? By obeying him, by praising him, by thanking him, by living in a way that demonstrates righteousness which brings his presence and his glory into our lives and into our situation and the situation of others whom our lives touch that's what we're called to do psalm 115 a very useful psalm a psalm that teaches us just some foundational principles for how we should see ourselves in this world what we should see about god and how we should respond to him may god bless you shalom from israel well we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org again to find out more about us please visit our website loveisrael.org There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua 
that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel.